0: Welcome to JC and Me, I'm Pastor Joseph Clark, and by JC I mean Jesus Christ, and by me I mean you, me, all of us. Our guest on the line today was a thug for Jimmy Hoffa's Teamsters. He did time in a federal penitentiary, he was an addict, and tragically his father murdered his mother with a shotgun and then turned the shotgun on himself. Our guest has been called by the Holy Spirit to be a minister of Jesus Christ by the grace of God. He now counsels those with addiction, a very special man with a story of redemption and the power of the Holy Spirit. Our guest today is Pastor Leonard Wayne.
1: Pastor Leonard Wayne, welcome to the show.
2: Pastor Joseph, thank you for having me on the
1: show. Well, it truly is a pleasure. And why don't we begin, if you will, with your book. Tell us a little bit about it. I've had the benefit of reading it, and I can tell you that it absolutely is a, a not-to-be-missed. But if you could tell me a little bit more about that, just describe it to the audience.
2: Well, it would be my pleasure, and I'm honored that you uh, blessed me by reading it. First and foremost, the book is called Higher and Higher by Leonard Wayne. Uh, The easiest place to get it right now is via Amazon. It should also be on audio format besides Kindle. And uh, the book, again, is basically sharing with you what I tried to keep hidden for almost 40 years about my insane, uh, bizarre, and if I may, very rowdy life. Uh, I think, again, some of the things that scare us the most uh, when Christ is asking us to share. Uh, If we have the courage to listen and just follow through, and I know when I was woken up in the middle of the night and he made it clear he wanted me to share this, I think part of it is to prove he has a sense of humor. I think the other part is to show that someone like myself uh, can have redemption and start serving him boldly uh, coming from where I came from,
1: I, I think really does give a strong testimony. Well, it, it most certainly does. Now, did you have any reluctance when you were called by Christ to write this book on the basis of was it pride or was the reluctance on fear that perhaps somebody would read it who, who you may have had a, a violent encounter with in the past or some kind of illegal dealings with the past, in the past that could come back to haunt you?
2: Well, ironically, I would say all three of those came into play. Uh, First and foremost, I sat at my desk for almost nine months with a yellow pad, and I start to write a chapter, and I realize what I'm putting on paper. And for the audience that isn't aware, uh, my specialty as a doctor is in recovery. And part of recovery is having rigorous honesty. And yet when you're making amends, you have to realize if it's going to hurt somebody Uh, Or maybe put you in prison again, uh, you might want to talk to your higher power, or in our case, it's Jesus Christ, our Savior. So I had my dear friend, who's an attorney, not only did he go to high school and USC with me, but I asked him to peruse it. Uh, He did have me remove Kevin Costner's name. Uh, He knows Kevin's attorney and thought, again, it probably wouldn't be wise to share some of the things I did with Kevin. And the gentleman who was paying me from the Teamsters to break legs as an enforcer, uh, we removed his last name because he's still working for the governor of California at the time. But besides that, it was more the fear of having people know that I came from a very troubled uh, family. Uh, I had dyslexia, and my dad decided at seven years old to beat me in the head every time I mispronounced a word, uh, he then resorted to kicking my dog because you couldn't really hurt me physically. And as I describe in the book at nine is when I got into martial arts and I was blessed, not only meeting uh, some very fierce fighters, I mean, from Bob wall to Joe Lewis, to Carlos Ray, to, I mean, some of the greats, Mike Stone, I don't want to leave anyone out, but they all taught me not only to be a very talented martial artist, but of course using that now, um, sort of darkness. And my life was all about uh, ego, money, women. I wanted to be loved. I wanted to be accepted. And to me, it was amazing that uh, when you read my book, what's really important is, believe it or not, the same attorney I was sharing with you, Joe McGinley, he leaves at the beginning of the book that Lenny was not a bully, but he wasn't someone to mess with. And he shares an experience sparring with me in the backyard where I, apparently I humbled him, yet didn't beat him up. He also makes it clear in his opening statement in the book that he ever witnessed firsthand our new people directly that were with me when I was doing just these incredible stunts, just anything to make people notice me. And I wanted people to believe I was fearless. So you have to realize there were a lot of things in there. Like when the Teamsters asked me as a young man of 16, and I'm working as an enforcer, if I would kill someone and I said, you know, I have a line there. I'm a very good shot. I'm a marksman. I will shoot people in their car knowing I'm just going to shoot the back of their trunk. I was that arrogant. And not only did I get it, but I share in the book, getting on the 405 freeway and putting a couple rounds in the back of this guy's car. But it was just so strange that I didn't fear anything. I didn't fear the law. And then when I got into the actual stock work, as Dick Vercalian says, who also folded the book, He referred to me as Captain Marvel and literally said out of the people in Hollywood in the seventies, I was the most fearless person he had ever met. And this is a guy again that hang with this, the Sinatra's crew. He hung with some real monsters. So it's just interesting how the Lord uses us, Joseph.
1: It is very interesting. It would seem you wanted to be loved. You wanted to be accepted, but you also, it would seem wanted to be feared and respected. Um, Now Leonard just to give this some context before we get into your days as a as a uh, thug with uh, Jimmy Hoffa's teamsters you currently would you tell us a bit about your your ministry as a pastor and also uh, your services as a counselor for addiction well you
2: know it was about 7 years ago as the lord works Uh, I had went back, and um, my first degree was from USC, so I went online, and I got a master's in social work. And then ironically, I said, well, why not get a doctorate in psychology, and you could actually be Dr. Leonard Wayne? Wouldn't that be something? Uh, (laughs) And with regards to, again, uh, my calling, I knew at nine years old when I went to a Billy Graham. Uh, Believe it or not, Billy Graham was right here in Anaheim. And I remember seeing him and we both have the same birthday, November 7th. And he tried to tell me then I would be used. And I'm like, you don't know what you're talking about. I want to be Clint Walker, big arms, lots of women, cowboy. I mean, but it's amazing. And as I share in the book, when puppet Chuck Smith baptized me at 16, I thought, again, I was really going to serve the Lord. And when you're reading the book, you'll see it took a little curve. Uh, But again, going into the ministry, it was interesting, out of Philadelphia, I had the honor of not only meeting Dr. Corinne and she was associated with uh, Biola, and I decided I wanted to really become an ordained pastor. And I also want to share with the listeners, there is a gentleman out of Gravit, Arkansas, named Pastor Arnold Murray. And here in California, he starts at about 2 in the morning, but you can find him, and it's called the Shepherd's Chapel. I want to make this clear. This man reads from the King James Bible, verse by verse, line by line. There's no singing, no dancing, and he has his concordance, and he tells you not to take his word or any man's word. If it's not the word of God, it's rhetoric, and he taught me so much. So I'm proud to say that I like to know, again, from my heart what I'm sharing, and I can direct people And in my private practice, it's clear. If you go to psychology today, it says pastor, Leonard Wayne, doctor. And then, of course, of addiction. But I handle the courts here in Orange County. I work with doctors in recovery. We have private meetings for them, uh, commercial pilots in recovery. And I want you to know, and I want your listeners to know, so many of them not only have read my book, but they found me on Google doing stand-up comedy, And they can't believe how much the Lord has softened me, made me so loving. I mean, my hashtag is stay in the light. The light is Christ, Yeshua, our Messiah. And if you stay in the light, you're not in depression. You're not in darkness. I give out armbands that say the devil's a liar. Praise the Lord. And I'm telling you, this works. If you say it three times, Satan's kryptonite are the words, praise the Lord. So for you to say the devil's a liar, praise the Lord, on the third chance. I want your listeners to try this. When you get in the dark position and you feel depressed, and we all feel that, say it, and I guarantee you, it'll go away. And then you can focus again on your heavenly father and ask him, lead, guide, and direct me. Use me boldly. Speak through me. Just like right now. I mean, you and I have no script. We're sharing from our heart, but we want people to know that helped us. I never tell my patients what to do. I offer suggestions. I give up the armbands to all of them. In recovery, a lot of you know we give up chips for significant lengths of time. I mean, we literally have a 30-day chip, 60-day chip, mm-hmm. a year chip showing I've went 12 months. And the Lord willing, this October 15th, I'm going to have 11 years without alcohol or drugs. And for someone like myself that was an alcoholic addict, that shows again the power of the Holy Spirit. My USC alums still, when I go to football games, doc, you want a beer? No, I'm, you're still not drinking. They can't, believe I'm, they can't believe I'm a doctor. I mean, I was never someone that thought I was going to be able to compete Uh, On a level of scholastics, I knew because of my size and brawn and fighting skills, uh, I would be a top performer. But as far as, again, given the tag as a young boy, you're dyslexic. You know, I learned to become a speed reader in sixth grade. And in my book, you'll read. Where, thank the good Lord, in second grade, they had tests that they conducted. They were able to say, little Lenny needs to go to a reading clinic. So my mom would drive me three days a week to a reading clinic, and these 20-year-old attractive women loved me and showed me how to use my skills. They literally had machines to help you reverse letters. Uh, We would read out a Reader's Digest with machines that would make you read at a certain speed. But I was blessed that I now became a speed reader, and because of that, again, I could do my homework in school and have more time to entertain you as the class clown. I was always someone who wanted to protect people. I wanted to, again, be that person that people looked at and knew that if I was there, no one's going to hurt us.
1: Yes. And that was obviously inherent in you. Now, when, in what year did you become a pastor?
2: Well, it was 2007 when I got into okay. seminary. Okay. And seminary here is much different because, again, it – works on you being able to convey it's like a four-year program yes. going through biola college but you and i both know pastor dorian baxter and we yes. have so much fun when we bring up scripture i mean when we use scripture to help people first corinthians chapter 9 verse 13 what does it say like this? it's telling us again there's nothing that we can't handle. Nothing he won't throw at us that we can't handle. He'll always give us a way out. See, it's so important to know again, as it says in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven. I want you to have plans of being prosperous. I want you to be successful. It's interesting when I work with people in their mid twenties. The one thing they always want to know, Doctor Wayne, let me ask you something. How can you be so positive? And I remind him, well, we all have a choice. See, when I read Think and Grow Rich when I was nine years old, and it described having a positive mental attitude and whatever the mind can conceive and the heart believe, you'll achieve it. I mean, when I was a young boy, I wanted 18 and a half inch arms. I wanted big biceps, and my biceps got up to 19 inches. Everything I ever visualized and really wanted, I became a pilot. I wanted to be a pilot. I, see, I want you to really understand visualization. When people tell me about, Doc, have you seen that movie that came out called The Secret? I'm like, that's not a secret. Napoleon Hill, Earl Nightingale talked about that in the 30s. Yeah, I yeah. do want to reject this. And, and please, the Holy Spirit's prompting me right now to boldly share with your listeners. Napoleon Hill wrote another book so controversial that his wife and no one wanted it released called outwitting the devil. And he literally has conversations with the devil. And it is one of the most unique pieces and you can get it on audio outwitting the devil, the devil describes the technique he uses. I mean, he just is so cavalier and it's so enjoyable and to think again, his daughter, after both of the parents died, Napoleon and his wife, in 2011, was able to finally get that released. And to realize again, people that listen to that are able to hear, what is Satan saying right there? Well, I start the young girls with cigarettes. So they want to look older, so I introduce them to cigarettes. And now they become addicted, and now they want to experiment. Other, But he describes everything he's doing to affect us.
1: Yes, yes. It, I've actually listened to the audiobook about winning the Devil and it is very, very interesting for sure.
2: Well, I'm glad you concur, my brother.
1: Yeah. Leonard, just in order to give everybody a sense of how fantastic your story is once you came to Christ, give us a sense of your violent years. If, you'd, if you wouldn't mind taking us back to the work that you were doing for Jimmy Hoffa's Teamsters, just to give everybody a sense of just the extent of the violence you were involved in before you came to Christ.
2: Well, you know, ironically, um, I was also a very talented boxer. So I would find myself at the Olympic auditorium in Los Angeles, boxing with a gentleman named Kenny Norton, who broke Muhammad Ali's jaw. I was one of his sparring partners. So at that venue, Uh, Jackie Presser, Frank Fitzsimmons, and, of course, Jimmy Hoffa, a big box enthusiast. uh, They saw this blonde, blue-eyed dude banging around with Ken Norton. So they came up and asked uh, what I was doing to uh, provide money. And I'm looking at them like, well, uh, what do you got in mind? So they asked if I'd be interested in being a sergeant of arms. Now, I had no idea what that meant, sergeant of arms. So ironically, I found myself down in Long Beach, and they actually gave me a jacket with my name on it. And they basically told me, anyone during this union meeting that gets out of line, you just physically remove them any way you want to. That's how it started. Then they asked again if I would be willing to break a guy's knee that owed him money. And ironically, I thought I was going to do a sidekick, and they gave me a pipe in a brown paper bag, and it was a symbol of how the teamsters break knees. Uh, I had a couple of occasions where I broke some arms. Uh, then they asked if I would uh, get into arson. So I said, well, what does it pay? See, my question was always, what does it pay? So I found myself burning up uh, trucks and cabs. Uh, when the checkered cabs went on strike, every time uh, uh, they would call me, they would tell me it's $250, every microphone you take out of a cab. So I would just knock out. Now, remember, I'm a 16-, 17-year-old kid. At twelve my dad was told by me, If you ever hit anyone in this family, I'm gonna hit you back. And he knew because again I started <laughs> martial arts at nine. So you have to understand I'm now twelve years old and I'm accustomed to beating up men, getting trophies and medals. The irony is I describe in the book that again, even as a young boy, six and seven, eight Uh, When I had kids that would try to bully me or, you know, read three guys that tried to take advantage of me, and I literally got a fence post and beat all three of them up. I mean, I was a very violent person because I was raised by a very violent man. You naturally uh, want to be like your dad, and that's when I also realized my dad was a coward. So his uncles all elaborated on some stories. I beat all his brothers up. I mean, even his toughest brother, who did 30 years in prison, was a very talented boxer. You'll read in the book where I kicked him in the head during the basketball family outing. And he asked if I could do it with just my hands. I took him in his backyard and put gloves on and pummeled him. He loved me. I mean, he again would, where did you come from? You're not like your dad. And I, I clearly stayed in there. I didn't want to be like my dad. I didn't want to be looked at as a coward.
1: You share in your book, Now we'll fast forward a little bit here, you shared in your book that unfortunately your mother was having adulterous encounters or affairs on your father and that your father ultimately murdered your mother and then committed suicide. As painful as this is, if you would just briefly walk us through this, the reason I ask is that, again, it sets context when we move forward to your redemption.
2: Well, again, when we read the book of Job in the Bible and we realize the things this man went through, I literally at one point thought, what could possibly happen to me next? Because it was 1999. I had made a million dollars as a stockbroker, and I was trying to, again, forgive my dad for 39 years. I hated my mom I loved. I want you to hear this. My mom was my Cub Scout leader, my den mother. There was no drinking. There was no alcohol. And she was raised by this bipolar-matic depressant. Now, we went to church on Sunday. And I think I was six or seven the first time I came home. My dad had tried to kill himself. The paramedics were in the driveway, and my mom's having to explain to Lenny. My dad stuck his head in the oven and took pills. Okay, then I was 12 when he tried it the second time, 16 the third time. That's when I really became like I didn't want to see this guy anymore. But the point I'm sharing here is my mom for 48 years put up with this man. And when I was about 17, she went back to school, became an RN nurse. She now was making more money than he ever made working at Ford Motor Company. She was now paying him back, as she put it. 49 years of being a bipolar manic depressive. She started drinking now using drugs that she was obviously procuring at the hospital. I think diazepam and Valium were her favorite, but the point is alcohol and drugs again, took this beautiful person and made her into a foul mouth slut. It was having affairs with the men in the congregation. And I want your listeners to hear this. When I was at her memorial, Two of these guys were a little worried I was going to divulge to their wives that you're aware you were involved with my mother. I mean, that's how crazy, and I want your listeners to hear me. I have a lot of Christians and recovering Catholics that tell me they are just so saddened by Christians that are hypocrites. And it's not for us to judge people. So, again, it's very strange that so many people try to get close to Christ, just like myself, and if something happens that gives them justifiable cause to try to say, well, God's not real. If God was real. Look what's going on right now with the coronavirus. I have many clients in such fear, and I try to remind them God is in control. He knows exactly what's going on. And just stay close to him, and believe me, as we say in recovery, This too shall pass. My noni used to always say that, and I never knew where she got that from. In regards to my parents, your listeners should hear, I literally, three weeks before the event happened, had a dream and saw it all. I took my dad to the beach, and I tried to tell him, Dad, I know you, and I know what happens to bipolar matic depressants when they snap. You know, where? The guy even across the street, he went over and asked him not to come over and take your wife to Laughlin. So you're aware of what's going on, and you're going to snap, and you're going to end up killing my mom. You're going to shoot her in the heart and shoot her in the head. And he has the same blue eyes as me, and he looked me in the eyes and said, son, I promise you I won't hurt your mom. Now remember, people, when you're a bipolar depressant, you have a chemical imbalance. So when your brain snaps and you go into rage, you literally are out of control. Then I went and told my mom the exact same thing. Trying to warn her, like, you know, maybe you should uh, not be drunk and passed out. Maybe you should be aware that you're breaking this man's heart. Get a divorce, for goodness sakes. But you can't torture someone. He did yes. the best he could. So he waited till her birthday, April Fool's Day, 1999. And he went in her room, and he shot her in the heart, shot her in the head, put her dog into the back bathroom, his underwear got on his knees and blew his head off. And when I got the call to come, I'm thinking to myself, isn't this amazing? I mean, there's been three bounties that have killed themselves now. And I've now experienced nine of my close friends that have taken their life. And it's so sad these people don't understand that no matter what they're going through, it will pass. They can get through it. reach out and tell someone. I'm right now listening on my Facebook page. People can call me for free. It's my honor to try to give them some therapy over the phone and tell them you're not alone. You're loved. I have a Facebook page called the Yeshua Warriors. I mean, Jesus' is real name, there aren't no jays in Hebrew. It's Yeshua. And everybody loves that. Oh, I love that. Because, again, we're dealing with demonic spirits they yes. want to take us. They want us to put alcohol. They want us to put drugs. So again, when you realize that happened in '99, it was probably a month later. I get indicted by the FBI for securities fraud. I now end up in Safford Penitentiary. I'm like, what could happen next? I have a broker I hired squander almost two million dollars of my money in offshore accounts. I have a gentleman from Cuba that breaks in and steals 180 thousand in cash. I'm like, Lord, what next? I mean, and the, <laughs> the interesting thing for me is, A, if you get money through illegal God in well, believe it, you're going to lose it. And he didn't take my health. He kept my beautiful woman. That's my wife for 25 years. So it's just amazing how you look at things. When I get a lot of money, I become very uh, egotistical, and we all know what ego means, edging God out.
1: Edging God out. <laughs>
2: don't want to edge God out I pray every morning every morning on my knees I have a ritual it works for me I light a candle I have pictures of people that I love and I literally talk to them like I'm talking right now and I ask them first and foremost Lord forgive my sins because no matter how hard I try I'm still a sinner and I encourage your listeners it's that easy it's not some big formal, all oh, three Hail Marys. No, forgive my sins. Then I ask him to forgive my enemies. So my clients say, well, What do you mean by that? I'm like, You have to ask to forgive people. It forgives you. I have Hindus who come to me. And of course, when they want to talk about Buddha, I said, You know, Buddha prophesied about Jesus Yeshua 500 years before he showed up. So you have to know something. But he has a famous lie about people holding anger like a man holding coal, and he's going to throw at his enemy who's getting burnt. So we have to let go of the anger. We have to ask to give people, Lord. Then I ask him, obviously, to lead, God and direct, protect my family, touch my clients so that they can hear the message I'm trying to share. I prescribe Sarah Young's Jesus Calling to people, read this every morning. You can't overdose. Do it two, three times if you have to. It's the perfect thing you need to read that morning.
1: Leonard, we're we're in the final stretch on our time here, so I want to make sure I allow enough time for you to take a few minutes and tell us about your coming to Christ. You've shared so much with us that you've gone through that was tragic in your life, and it's such an incredibly powerful story of redemption, how much you turned around. You obviously inherently had a love for Jesus Christ from a small age, and yet this was your journey. So if you would, please tell us about when you came to Christ and you were saved.
2: Well, I really want to emphasize that 16 years old, when I was Baptist, I couldn't with Chuck Smith. So such a feeling. I mean, it was such a real feeling. I couldn't deny it. I couldn't pretend I was high. And unfortunately, as I write in the book... I had to deal with my addiction towards my sex. I enjoyed girls, and I was now no longer supposed to have promiscuous sex. So I don't want to take anything from the book, but you read what I was battling with. But the real reality is that 39 years of age is when I realized, you know, you're going to be 40. And all of a sudden, it's like, you know what, let's get into this with the same intensity, So when you really start serving the Lord, and it was 2007 that I said, you know, I not only want to be like Billy Graham, and when Billy passed away, I felt his spirit. I know that might be strange for certain people, and it was almost like, do me a favor. Just use your own style and share your love for Christ. There is no other way you guys know Billy Graham loved not only altar calls, but he believed in his heart that people couldn't find Christ unless you brought up Christ being uh, crucified for our sins. See, so you have to realize he not only did that, but he died for us. And to be such a stand-up guy that he knew all this was going to happen, and the blood of Christ is what cleanses all of us. There is no more sacrifice. The more we do for people, I try to use this analogy. Go out and do loving things and try not to get caught doing it. See, that now gets you fine linens in heaven. People realize, again, that do see you. That guy's doing that, and he's not even trying to get attention or recognition. He's doing it because he loves his brother and sister. And that's, again, putting you in heaven on earth. I tell people that are very wealthy, they come to my office. And they're telling me again about how to they are. Now, these people are very wealthy. A multi-millionaire, one's a billionaire. And I'll literally say, let's go, come on. We'll go to In-N-Out Burger, buy 15 hamburgers, drive down Harbor Boulevard, give them out to homeless people, try not to get caught doing it. They give them such, he's like, wow. I tell people, you can go sit at the beach and look at the waves and talk to God, and you don't need to come see me. You don't need to pay to have a therapist tell you again, You need to look in the mirror. See, there's where all your problems lie. For me, my problems were, A, as an alcoholic, I hurt the people I love the most. As an addict, I would do anything, anything to get more. So now you're dealing with all this guilt and shame. Yes. I'm dealing with nightmares of people I physically harmed. Diamond heist. I mean, again, when you read this book, you're you're just shaking your head. Wow. And for God to use someone like me, I remind people Paul was a very colorful individual, and God knew he was going to write the majority of the New Testament. He had to blind him on the road to Damascus. He had to have a mule talk to him, for goodness sakes. You would think he'd realize, well, there's something going on here. But some of us are so stubborn, and remember, God gives us free choice, free will. So every morning, we have to get up and decide who are we going to serve. As Bob Dylan always said, you've got to serve somebody. Your listeners right now, some of them are addicts, some of them are alcoholics, and they're going to agree when they hear this. I have had one addict tell me they haven't had intimate conversations with Satan. He's in the vent. He's there. He's, okay, so again, he's real. We know he's real. He's written of in Scripture. But who has power over all demonic spirits? We do. And use it. Don't be afraid to literally say, the devil's a liar. You have no power over me. Now, if I put drugs and alcohol in my system, you have power in me. Alcohol is called spirits. Think about it. It's a depressant. But so many people, look what's going on right now, my brother. They consider liquor stores to be essential, yet they're closing churches. Why are the mosques open? See, it's interesting. Again, it's selective religion. Ours isn't a religion. It's a lifestyle. It's real. When you're serving Christ Yeshua, people see it. They want to know, what are you on? And when people ask me, Dr. Wade, how can you keep a smile with all this? How come they're so loving and nice to people? Because I want to stay in the light. Do you want to stay in the light? You control that switch. You can be in darkness in a fetal position. Blaming everybody for what's not going your way, you can say, I'm going to be a beacon of light that people say, you know, if that person, if that brother and that sister can have that type of love, I want to know what they're on.
1: In recovery,
2: we, we call it through attraction rather than promotion. And I don't condemn my brothers that are on the corner with the big cross, telling everybody they're going to hell. We're all going to hell unless we're smart enough to, A, accept Christ as our Savior. See, there's only one way to get to heaven, one way, and ask him not only to forgive our sins but accept us and change us. And now we're promised eternity. We're now given the gift of heaven, and that's the only way. when you see some celebrity trying to say, no, 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 all rivers lead to – no, they don't.
1: No, they don't.
2: All rivers do not lead to the ocean, okay? And there's only one way to get to heaven, and because I love you and my brothers and sisters that are listening, I want them to also be there. So I get to see my parents again. I get to see these people that have taken their life one way or another or even natural. Pastor Leonard,
1: we must wrap up, but I wanted to ask you if you could take 60 seconds and give us a bit of a final message and also direct us to where we can get your book.
2: Amen. Well, to get the book, you can either go to leonardwayne.com. That'll take you to my personal website, and on there there's a link. Or you can just put my name in Google, and it'll show you uh, how to go and find me on Amazon. The book, again, is called Higher and Higher by Leonard Wayne. And again, uh, it's, I know it's on Kindle, and I believe in two weeks it'll be on audio. But right now, it's either paperback or Kindle. Uh, you can learn more about me by going to my website, leonardwayne.com. It'll give you uh, an overview of what I do and how I do it. I specialize in interventions for people. So if you know someone that's struggling and needs help, those are my specialties. And really, I want to emphasize again how much I love you for uh, giving me some time to share with others. You know, it works if you work it. It's real.
1: Well, lots of love back to you, too. Pastor Leonard, thank you so much for taking the time to share your story with us and for your candor as well, my brother in Christ. God bless you.
2: God bless you, brother. Stay in the light. Roger out.
0: Pastor Leonard is making such a difference in so many people's lives, both as an evangelist for Jesus Christ, and as an addiction counselor. During my interview with him today, I couldn't help but think of two scriptures. The first Daniel, chapter 12, verse three. Those who are wise shall shine like the brightness of the firmament, and those who turn many to righteousness, like the stars forever and ever. And Acts chapter one, verse eight. But you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be witnesses to me in Jerusalem, and in all Judea, and Samaria, and to the end of the earth. Thank you for listening to JC and Me. I'm Pastor Joseph Clark. And may Christ be with you.